coming to a theater near you. <laughs> no, I like to set up sermons, and that's the best one I found to set it up this morning. So anyway, I do want to thank you for being here this morning. How many of you in the last couple of weeks have put out mulch and worked in the yard? I did that yesterday, and this morning I can hardly breathe out my nose right now. <laughs> anyway, so we'll see how far we go this morning. My wife worked me hard yesterday, and so, uh, but I'm here today. We're going to continue. Uh, today is the last part of this series that we raised three weeks ago, Hope for the Hurting. And today we're looking at the potential of hurt. Now think about that. Hurt, disappointment, suffering has potential. And I think so many times we, we say, no, 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 I don't want to hear about any potential. I don't want to hear about suffering. I don't want to be a part of that. But yet, it is part of our lives. I want you to turn to Genesis chapter 37. Genesis chapter 37. There's a show called Inside the Actor's Studio. And it's hosted by James Lipton where he interviews actors such as Kristen Wiig, Anthony Hopkins, Morgan Freeman, and Clint Eastwood. I've seen several of these interviews because many times I like to see what's behind those actors are in front of us and what they are thinking, what developed them into who they are, uh, where they're coming from, what shaped their lives. And Lipton said this, the theme of the interviews is summed up really on one question. And here's the question. What are the events that have happened to you that have shaped your life up to this point? Now, that's a question that many of stars have been asked and those who appear on that television show. But I want to ask you this morning, what are those things in your life that have helped shape who you are today? I would hope that, uh, first of all, it might be uh, your relationship with Jesus Christ. There came a point in your life where you learned that you were lost or came to the awareness that you were lost. You placed your life in, in his hands. You turned from your sin, and, and hopefully that was a shaping or something that shaped your life today. But I want you to think about other things, possibly. Look at the introduction on your outline. What if you were told that the hurt and disappointment you have experienced in your life could possibly be the best thing to, ever happen, to have ever happened to you and those around you? Now, it is true, this statement, this idea, and can be proven with the story of Joseph of the Old Testament in the Bible. Joseph. Now, I want you to think about this young man. Uh, we, we are introduced to him as a teenager. Many people believe that he was probably around the age of 17 when we're introduced to him in the scripture. 25% of the book of Genesis is devoted to his story. Have you ever thought about that? Six words describe how the heavens were formed. Six words uh, in scripture. And yet 25% of the book is dedicated to the story of one named Joseph. I think many of us would say, well, what's so special about Joseph? And, and I think for many of us, we can look at the scripture and say, well, he's probably the one in the Old Testament that represents or identifies with Jesus more than any other character. And if you thought that, I would agree with you this morning. And the more you study his life, the more you see that develop in him. And you begin to see that not only did Joseph have the big picture mentality of his life, but of course, we know Jesus did also. Watchman Nee once said this, listen to this, we never truly learn anything new about God and ourselves except through hurt or adversity. 
Joseph would have been one of those that near the end of his life, he would have said, you know something? I agree with that totally. And we can see why he would agree with that because his life was marked by that. There were many things. There was heartache after heartache, disappointment after disappointment, suffering after suffering that came to his life. And yet at the end of it all, he was one of those who said, but you know something? God had it all under control. God revealed himself in my hurt. God revealed who I was in my hurt. And he shaped who I am through those events in my life. So look on your outline. The first thing I want us to look at this morning are, are the damages that hurt or disappointment can cause in a person's life. And of course, the damage comes when we choose not to forgive. And so look at that first one there. What are the consequences of unforgiveness? What, what are those things that, that hurt us when it comes to us harboring resentment and bitterness? And some of you may be sitting here today and say, well, didn't we talk about this last week? Yeah, we talked about one side of it. But I want to be very practical this morning. What are those things that you're holding on to? The results of unforgiveness affect every area of a person's life. First, first of all, there's the physical. It's the idea of being stressed and diseased and weakened. Doctors tell us, medical doctors tell us that what happens when we're, our bodies are introduced to stress, that the immune system begins to weaken. And therefore, we are exposed to, to the activities of disease, uh, and we're more vulnerable to disease when we're stressed. And of course, one of the greatest stresses we deal with in life is hurt, is hurt and disappointment. A second thing we see there, it affects us, emo uh, the emotional side of us, where many, many times hurt can cause us to be calloused. It causes us to be isolated. It causes us to build walls around who we are, where we, we're, we're not so, uh, we're, where we don't necessarily want someone from the outside to get in to hurt us like we've been hurt before. So emotionally, we can be impacted by this. How about the mental? The mental self-deception and the trans, something called transference. Psychologists tell us that there's something called transference. And what that is, is when someone in our life has hurt us, where it literally debilitated us at some point, where they've hurt us so bad. And, and, and if there's other things that remind us of that hurt out there, then we'll transfer the hurt that that person calls upon someone else. Sometimes they say some people have been hurt so severely that they transfer what they feel towards that one person to everyone in their life. And, and y'all, I think I've been introduced to that through some people's pain that I've talked to over the years. But we need to understand that this idea of unforgiveness, harboring resentment is very damaging to a person. And it causes us to build up defensive mechanisms that are very unhealthy in our lives. And then there's the spiritual. It affects us spiritually unforgiveness. Look, look at what it causes in our lives. Inability to love and trust God. And let's face it, if we look at our lives, and, and maybe we do have that relationship with God. We have that awareness that there is a God. We have that awareness that He is involved in our lives. And then we look at it and we say, okay, what is an all-powerful God who could do anything? Why is He allowing these things into my life? And many times, I don't know about you, I've asked that question, God, why? Why this hurt? Why this disappointment? Why, Lord? Why, why does it seem to follow one after another? 
And we've all been there. We've all experienced it. And therefore, it causes us that inability to love and trust God. How about the second one there? Doubts regarding your relationship with God. I've met people who've said this. If God's going to allow this in people's lives, if God could have stopped this and he didn't, then I tell you, I'm not sure I believe there is even a God. A lot of unbelievers are there, but I've watched Christians walk through this. And it's interesting when we, we start looking at How about this one? Major hindrances to spiritual growth. When we allow resentment to come into our lives and it's not resolved in bitterness, then guess what? I'm here to tell you from personal experience, when that takes place, spiritual growth stops. It, it, it stops. And then lastly, gives Satan or the enemy a stronghold in your life. If you want to be influenced or controlled by the, the enemy, allow resentment and bitterness to come into your life. And some of you, if you, some of you who, who have been there and come out on the other side, you know this. You've seen this. He works his way into our lives. Look at this verse, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5. You want to write that down because I... I want you to go back and look at this carefully. It's amazing how many of our issues that we deal with as Christians always seem to carry us back to this as a solution. It is amazing. I want you to see what he says. Paul says, for though we walk in the flesh, the flesh, those things that, that, that can get us in trouble, those feelings that we feel that shouldn't be there. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not, we do not war according to the flesh. That means we can't, Go into battle with the enemy. We can't go into battle even with our own flesh, with flesh. We have to trust in something bigger than ourselves. We have to look at this relationship with God. It says, for the weapons of our warfare, they're not carnal. I can't muster enough in the flesh to overcome some of the things that touch my life. He says, but mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. The only thing that's going to allow me to deal with those issues in my life that are bigger than me, those things that hurt me at the deepest level, the only way I can get there is through the power of God. And he's talking about that here. Mighty in God for doing what? For pulling down strongholds. What are strongholds? Well, if you were to go back to the, look at the language Paul was using here, he would talk about a city. And many of the cities back then, even before in all ancient history, all the cities that were protected had a huge wall around them. And they would build these walls in such a way in which the enemy couldn't come in. It was a defense mechanism. But let's face it, many of us, our souls are, have been hurt so badly, have become so callous. We've regarded resentment in which we've built walls around ourselves and, and we're holding those things out. And the only thing that we're doing is we're living in our resentment. We're living in our hurt when we're living, living it and overliving it and living it again. And it's coming and we're just sitting here and those walls are built up. The strongholds are those walls. And they need to come down. He says, for pulling those things down. Now, the reason they're there, again, not bad in and of itself. The reason many of you have them up, they're defense mechanisms. I'm not going to let anyone in my life again get that close to me that's going to hurt me as badly as this person hurt me. And we hold it up. And it's there. 
He says, we're going to pull these things down. How will it happen? Here it is, casting down arguments. The arguments, you may write this down, the arguments. Let me give you some of the arguments. Rationalizations. Some of you have rationalized things in your mind that shouldn't be rationalized in the way they've been rationalized. And you think it's not causing you harm, and you've rationalized the hurt that this person has brought to you. How about lies you're believing? Those things need to be cast down. The word cast down literally means defeated. It's, it's, in wrestling, you, you cast someone down, you, you pin them, you defeat them. And he's basically saying these things can only happen through the power of God in your life, and you've got to learn how to use that. How about the deception? These arguments, there's deceptions, there's rationalizations, there's lies, there's deceptions. And then it says this, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Now, this is going to blow your mind. Did you know your hurt can be an idol in your life? You've probably never heard of it like that before. It's one of those things that you hold in your life. In which you're looking at what God's word says or the knowledge of God. And you're basically saying this. I know what you say, but I'm still holding on to this. Anything that you treat that way in your life is an idol. I know what you say, but I'm holding on to this. That's an idol. You're putting it ahead of God. You're putting it ahead of his word. You're putting it against the very knowledge that you have of him. And you're basically saying, I'm withholding this. You're making it a God. What do you know about the knowledge of God? First of all, we know that the idea of knowledge when it comes to Scripture is experiential. But it could just be truth also. It could be those things about don't harbor resentment in your life. Don't let sin go down. Uh, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Those verses like that. And you say, I know that, God. But you know something? I'm choosing to hold this. It's an idol. And we need to understand what's happening here. And then it says this, bringing every thought into captivity. It's that idea of bringing, it's the idea of evaluating the, the things that we're thinking about, the things that have hurt us, and we're literally holding them up, and we want the deception to be dispelled. We want to take the lie that we've been believing about it, and we want to bring truth to it, and we want the knowledge of God implied in such a way that we're going to bring it captive, and we're going to evaluate it, and then guess what we're going to do? And then we're going to bring it to the obedience of Christ. We're going to renounce it, we're going to rebuke it, and we're going to say, this is the Word of God. I'm bringing truth to where it hurts. And that's the only way you're ever going to find hope in that hurt, in that pain, in that bitterness, that resentment. It's the only way. Next, what are the breakthroughs to forgiveness? What happens when we begin to get serious about forgiving? What happens when we begin to say, hey, I don't want this, this stronghold of hurt in my life and the way I'm dealing with it. I don't want this idol that I've placed ahead of God and against his word. What happens when we get serious about forgiveness? Now, here's something you need to understand. And someone in this room taught me this years ago, and, and it's just, it just clicked with me. And here's what it is. Listen, God is more interested, this is good, 
in what we are becoming than what we are doing. There's so much emphasis that we put on in our Christian life about all the things that we need to be doing instead of what we're becoming. And Teresa, you don't have to write that down. Doug gave me the information. <laughs> but, but anyway. <laughs> but, but it's that idea of, of the fact that, that, that God is so much more interested in who we're becoming. But we place so much of our relationship with him on what we're doing. And there's nothing wrong with doing Nothing wrong, but there's a higher priority, higher priority in our life, and it's what we're becoming. If you look at what Paul writes in his epistles, every bit of what he writes in the epistles is that thought of, become, of being in Christ, being in Christ. It's the idea of becoming. It's not the idea of doing, and we find that language all over the epistles. So, in light of this, look on your outline. Discern what quality, what, excuse me, what character qualities God wants to develop in you through the offense. Okay, this hurt me. This hurt me on the deepest level I could ever imagine. This hurts. And the first thing I guarantee you we don't think about is, I wonder what God's up to. Is that what crosses your mind, first of all? No. How dare you? Who do you think you are? God, why, why would you bring this in my life? We start throwing out all these accusations. We start defending ourselves. We start. But have you ever looked at it this way? Now think about what you're dealing with this morning. I don't know who it is. I don't know what it is. It may be God himself you're harboring things against. Whatever it is, what kind of, quali what kind of character qualities does he want to develop in me? We're getting ready to read a lot of scripture. I hope you've turned to Genesis chapter 37, but Joseph is born in ancient Israel. He is considered by his father a child of promise. I want you to look at Genesis 37 verse one. Now Jacob dwelt in the land where his father was a stranger in the land of Canaan. Now this is the, the history of Jacob. Joseph being 17 years old was feeding the flock with his brothers. This is when we're introduced to Joseph. And the lad was with the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpha, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to his father. Can I give you a translation of what? Joseph became a little tattletale. Okay? And so he's going to give news to his father about what his brothers are up to. Okay, and so verse three, now Israel, that's Jacob, loved Joseph more than all his children. Do you, do you already see the problem possibly coming up here? And because he was the son of his old age, he looked at him as a grandchild. How many of you love your grandchild children more than you love you? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but, but there's something about that child coming in your life at old age. And also, he made him a tunic of many colors, you know, the coat of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. Now think about that. Wouldn't that be sad? To think that your father loves the others more than yourself. How many of you think you could identify? I mean, it's like, wow, this just doesn't feel right. Do you see the potential of hurt building up? Disappointment? 
Now, Joseph had a dream. It gets, it gets worse. Joseph had a dream, and he told it to his brothers, and they hated him even more. And once you hear the dream, you'll understand. Here's what he said. So he said to them, please hear this dream which I've dreamed. There were binding sheaves in the field. They, then behold, my sheave arose and also stood upright. And, the, and indeed, your sheaves, those things that represented you, stood all around and bowed down to my sheave. How many of you are like, who is this kid? Who does he? I mean, I'm sitting there getting mad at him myself. I'm not even standing there, you know. And we got all this hostility building up. Verse 8, and his brother said to him, shall you indeed reign over us or shall you have dominion over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Then he dreamed still another dream, told it to his brothers and said, look, I've had another dream. And this time the sun, the moon, and the 11 stars bowed down to me. Verse 10 So he told it to his father and his brothers, and his father rebuked him and said to him, What is the dream that you have dreamed? Shall your mother and I and your brothers indeed come to bow down to the earth before you? And his brothers envied him, but his father kept the matter in mind. I want you to think about what just went down. The brothers, great hostility. Jacob the father is sitting there thinking, Maybe there's something to this. Maybe there's something to this. It's obvious. How many of you picked up on this about the story? It's obvious that Joseph lacked discernment. Would you agree with that? (laughs) Okay. And, And some believe that Joseph maybe needed a little more humility in his life. Now, think about this. What are the qualities God is attempting to build in your life? What's he up to? What's he attempting to do? You see, when you give your life to Jesus Christ, when you turn from your sin and turn to him and say, God, you're Lord, you're master. My life now is yours. I want you to think about that. Everything changes at that point. Everything changes. And so therefore, he's calling the shots. He's bringing things into your life. He's allowing things to touch your life that you probably disagree with him on. The hurt, the disappointment. And therefore, what's he using? Why is he allowing these things to come into our lives? I believe for Joseph, maybe some humility was in order. Joseph eventually became, I want you to understand this, the most Christ-like person in all the Old Testament because Joseph allowed God to work through his hurt and his suffering. And I see it so clearly when I read it. Here's another one. How do you allow a breakthrough to forgiveness? Realize that God is working in you through the actions of your offender. He's working in you. That person that came your way that hurt you so deeply, so badly. God's working through that situation. And of course, look on your outline. There is something called the unknown plan. You ever had something happen to you and thought to yourself, what is going on? Where did this come from? What could God possibly do with this situation? 37, Genesis 37, look at verse 18. Now when they, Joseph's brothers, saw him afar off, even before he came near, they conspired to kill him. Then they said to one another, look, the dreamer is coming. Do you know the rest of the story? You know what happened. They thought to kill him at first. They were going to take the coat, smear it in some blood, and carry it back to the father and say, hey, he, he, he died. 
Uh, something got a hold of him. Uh, and then you realize that there were some traders that came by and remembered the story. I don't have time to read it all, but some traders came by and they thought, hey, we can make a little money in this deal. They sold him to a slave group. They sold him as a slave to some traders. The traders make their way up to Egypt. You know what happens then, don't you? All of a sudden, Joseph is sold as a, as a slave there in Egypt. Would you say that Things are looking pretty gloom for poor Joseph. If you were Joseph, what would your reaction be to this madness? The people you trusted have turned on you. You see, here's what we need to understand. There was an unknown plan that God had that Joseph knew nothing about at this point. There was an unknown plan. Now, a very important plan that would play out exactly as God intended I want you to think about this. Some of you know the rest of the story. There's a plan God's up to. There's something he's up to in Joseph's life. Now, what are the breakthroughs to forgiveness? Realize that God is working in you through the actions of your offender. There's the unknown plan, and then there's the known plan. And we're going to come back to that part of the outline at the end of this message. So let's move on. What are the breakthroughs to forgiveness? Here it is. Expect to suffer for doing right as a normal part of living for God. You ever been persecuted because you knew the Lord? You ever been persecuted because you try to live out what God's word says? You ever been persecuted because you tried to use God's word to challenge someone else's life? We've all been there. In Genesis chapter 39 in, in verse 39 it says now, I'm sorry, in verse 1 it says, now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, brought him from the Ishmaelites, who had taken him down there. And the Lord was with Joseph, and he was a successful man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made all he did to prosper in his hand. So Joseph found favor in his sight and served him. Then he made him overseer of his house, and all that he had, he put it under his authority. So it was from the time that he had been made overseer of the house and all that he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake, and the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and in the field. Thus... He, Potiphar, left all that he had in Joseph's hands, and he did not know what he had except for the bread which he ate. Now, I want you to think about that. Maybe in some of your households, this is the picture. One of y'all does all the bills, takes care of all the bills and everything. And the only thing you know is what, <laughs> is the fact y'all might be going out to eat that night. <laughs> okay? That other person's got it under control. You don't think about it, you just go with the flow. That's what Potiphar was doing with Joseph. He basically kept up everything. And it says this. Here's, here's the next part. Now, Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. Good-looking young man. Now, you know some of the story. All of a sudden, Potiphar's wife has eyes for Joseph. And, and she starts pursuing him. And the temptation is heightened. If you come to verse 9, go about mid uh, to the end of verse 9, it says... He, he, he kept fighting the temptation and he looked at Potiphar's wife. He said, how then can I do this great wickedness against uh, sin and sin against God? He saw what he was a, possibly was a, being invited into as a sin. And he basically said, how can I do that to God? 
You, now, let me just say this. The reason that ver- part of that verse is important is because Joseph, and this is key to all of us, Joseph saw his life, listen, in the context of God. Do you see your life in the context of God? That God may have a plan for your life, that God has certain things and allows certain things to come into your life, that he has a plan, he has a purpose, and every day you wake up and you're reminded over and over again that you're living in the context of God. Most of us don't wake up thinking that. Most of us, when we get into our disappointment, our hurt, we don't think that. Oh, God's up to something. I need to pay attention. Wonder what he's up to. No, we react differently, don't we? But he saw his life in the context of God. So verse 10, so it was as she spoke to Joseph day by day that he did not heed her to lie with her or to be with her. Continually, every day, he saw his life in the context of God and what God desired for his life. He was doing the right thing, wouldn't you say? How many of you respect him for what he's done? All you ladies are sitting there saying, yeah, that's right. He he needs to do that. Yeah, and that's right. And so it went on and on. Verse 20, as you make your way to verse 20, Potiphar is going to set him up. His wife's going to set him up and basically say, look at what this slave that you brought into our home. Look at what he tried to do. He tried to sin against me. He tried to, he had to come against me. I had to fight him off. Look, I'm holding his coat here. Verse 20. Then Joseph's master took him and put him into prison, a place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in the prison. How many of you know that he went to prison for doing the right thing? Would you, would, how many of you would look, look at God? I mean, let's be honest. You look at God, and here's what you could say. God, I did it your way. I, I, I stood against the temptation. I did everything in my power to be as Christ-like. Of course, Christ, that mentality wasn't been there. But I did everything to, to listen, to live my life in the context of who you are. And this is what I get. How many ever had those thoughts? Maybe it wasn't prison for you. Maybe it was something else. And this is all I get? Prison? Best estimations, listen to this, best estimations lead us to believe that he was there at a minimum of seven years in prison. Seven years. Some people guess maybe as much as 14 years. Can you imagine? Joseph's character held up under the temptation. Joseph knew that God is sovereign, but he also believed that he was responsible to God for his choices. The years go by as a slave. What do you think runs through his mind? What emotions do you think he feels? Not only towards Potiphar's wife, but God himself. Next, for the breakthroughs to forgiveness, surrender that God may bring, number one, vindication. And that's the whole idea of justice. Let me ask you a question. The Bible says that God is just. Do you know what that means? That means his very nature, the essence of who he is, he he is just. Can we count on him to bring proper justice? He is, and he always will. And he will at the end of time, too. The goal, listen, the goal of forgiveness is not to sit God on those who have hurt you. It's not one of those things where, okay, God, I'm going to leave it with you, but I want you to make them pay. Can I count on you, God, for that? 
that shouldn't be a part of the bargaining when it comes to forgiveness either. If you come to Genesis chapter 41, we're going to look at verse 37 here in just a little bit. But what you have here is there, there's a butler and a baker that's also been confined to the jail or, or associated with the jail. And, and what happens is, as it plays out, Pharaoh has a dream. Somewhere along the line, the butler and the baker get out of prison. They begin to serve Pharaoh's palace. And as they're there, Pharaoh has a dream. He's he, he, a, the dream's a mystery to him. He, he has it evidently a couple times. And, and he can't get his mind off of it. And he knows this may be a message from God, but he can't interpret it. And so, he, of course, the butler remembered Joseph. You know why he remembered Joseph. Because Joseph correctly interpreted the dreams of the baker and the butler. And so the butler said, hey, Pharaoh, there's this guy in prison. You'd be amazed at what he's capable of doing. He can interpret dreams. Pharaoh calls him up, says, let, let me see this guy. Verse 37, Pharaoh interprets the dream, excuse me, Joseph interprets the dream by saying, hey, what you saw are seven years of plenty in Egypt and seven years of famine. And here's what you need to do, Pharaoh. You need to set aside and prepare yourselves for the seven years of famine. And here's a way you can do it. And he begins to outline this whole idea of what it means in which he could uh, uh, prepare himself for those days to come. So look at verse 41. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, see, I have set you over all of the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his, his signet ring off his hand and put it on Joseph's hand. The signet ring was a, uh, was a symbol of power. It was a symbol of representation of Pharaoh. Now, here's what you may not understand. Back then, in this time period, Egypt was the superpower of the world. What you think about that? And all of a sudden, Joseph becomes second in control of the, of the superpower of the world. Can you imagine that? From the depths of where he came from, from all he went through, and now he's sitting here and he has all this authority. He has all this power. And Pharaoh, he set him up over the land of Egypt. There's, would you say some justice may have been carried out there? We really haven't seen all that yet. Next, surrender that God may bring regeneration or healing you remember me saying this a couple weeks ago that many of us, so many times, if we look at our prayer requests, what are we always praying for? We're praying for healing. And when we say healing in the church, we normally are talking about physical healing. Can I tell you that that may not be the greatest healing? I know it for a fact. It's not the greatest healing that needs to take place in this room right now. The greatest healing that take place in a person's life is spiritual healing. Spiritual healing. Number one, coming to know Christ. But number two, living that life in such a way that nothing hinders your growth in him. And if there is something there, it needs to be healed. It needs to be dealt with. But some of you are sitting here this morning and you need also emotional healing. You have built the walls around you. You're believing the lies. You're keeping everybody out. And God can't really do anything with that person. That's the kind of healing. Look at, verse, uh, look at chapter 41, verse 50. Joseph's going to have two sons born to him. Look at verse 51. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh. And it means, for God has made me forget all my toll and all my father's house. Now, we know for, the, for this fact that Joseph didn't forget 
You know what the terminology literally means? He's no longer under the control of the emotions of what he felt about those events in his life. He's given them to God. He's beginning to see the unknown plan for the known plan. He's beginning to see it's all coming out. Verse 52, the name of the second child, he called Ephraim, for God has caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. His sons, listen to this, became a testimony of what God has done in his life through his hurt. Here's what you need to understand. Every time God did something great for the nation of Israel, you know what he told them to do? Remember this. Remember this. Build a memorial. I want you to remember this. This is where I came and acted on your behalf. This is where I intervened and brought victory to your life. Guess what? When Jesus was there, In the Garden of Gethsemane, they were there. But just before all that took place, you remember they took communion? Do you remember what he told them? Remember this. It was a symbol of his death, burial, and resurrection. He's saying, remember the sacrifice. Remember this. Make a memorial. Let it be long-lasting in your life. And the events that took place just after that were some of the most horrifying you could ever imagine. And all of a sudden, he's saying, remember this. The same communication, the same idea of what Joseph is talking about here. He's saying, I want to make this a memorial. So every time he saw them little boys playing at his feet, guess what? He looked at those things. He didn't ignore those things. He saw God. God worked great things in his life through his affliction. And so many times we never get to that point where there's victory in our life, where we can see God working on our behalf through some of the most dire of circumstances. Next, surrender that God may bring restoration or repair. And that's where we go from the unknown plan to the known plan. Joseph begins to see the plan of his suffering. Now here's what's happened. There's famine in the land. Who predicted that? Joseph. Seven years of famine, two years into the famine, or maybe five years into the famine. All of a sudden, uh, uh, Joseph's brothers, you remember them that sold him out? They're sitting over there. Everything's getting bad. Famine's happening. Things are dying. People are dying. Animals are dying. And all of a sudden, the only answer they have, Jacob says, hey, go to Egypt that we can uh, feed our family. And so they make their plan to go there. In verse 4 of chapter 45, Joseph is there with his brothers. He finally has an audience with those, listen, who betrayed him, who brought much affliction into his life that hurt him beyond what he could ever imagine. And he's there. And it says, and Joseph said to his brothers, please come near to me. So they came near to him. Then he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. But now do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God, for God. You know what Joseph's saying? Everything that happened to me, everything you brought into my life, I've come to realize it's all in the context of God. I see it in light of what God has done with my life. He, he says, but God sent me before you to preserve life. Verse six, for these two years, the famine has been in the land and still there's five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. Joseph was basically saying, you know something? At the end of the seven years, you all would have been dead. There would have been no hope. Verse seven, here it is. And God 
And God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by great deliverance. So now it was not you who sent me here, but what? But God, and he has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord over all his house and a ruler throughout the land of Egypt. Verse nine, hurry and go to my father and say to him, thus thus says your son Joseph, here it is. God has made me Lord over all Egypt. Come down to me, do not tarry. Hurry back. Verse 10, you shall dwell in the land of Goshen and you shall be near to me and you and your children, your children's children, your flocks, your herds and all that you have. Therefore, I will provide for you lest you and your household that all may come, that that you shall not come to poverty, but there are still five years of famine. How many of you see great hope in this? But God, but God and God. What was the testimony of his hurt? What was the testimony of his disappointment? What was the testimony of his resentment? But God, some of you are sitting here today and you got the walls around you. You got the hurt all around you. It's become an idol in your life. And you, you make excuses for it. You lie for it. You believe lies for it. And you're living in deception. But here's what you need to understand. You got to get to the place like Joseph where you can look back on it and say, but God. Are you willing to take those steps this morning? Are you willing to step out? Next. How do you have the breakthroughs to forgiveness Thank God for the blessings he plans through the offense. (laughs) I went through something years ago that altered everything about how I saw people. It was one of those things, and I'm just going to be honest, I'm not asking you to feel sorry for I've worked through all this. It's one of those things I didn't think I would survive and, and stay in the ministry. It was very painful. It was, it was a hard time in my life. I'm just going to be honest with you. I started isolating myself. I've started becoming callous to the needs of people. And that's not good for a pastor to be that way. <laughs> and, and I'll be honest with you. It, it was just one of those things where I just, I'm not going to deal with this right. And I'm not dealing with this right. It took years. I'm just being transparent with you for me to say, but God, but God. And, and all the, the, the offense that was, I felt was done unto me, all the, everything that was done, and I made mistakes in the process too that I had to work through. But I'm here to tell you, I, I've come through this in such a way that I'm starting just now, and this happened years ago, I'm starting just now to see why it was allowed in, into my life. And I'm starting to get the phrase, but God. I'm starting to realize that he's going to bring blessings. And he's helping me walk out of deception. And he's helping me to believe the truth and not the lie. And the walls are coming down in such a way that I'm beginning to see all that's out there that God wants me to do. And what God wants me to prepare myself for. But it came about in a way I never imagined Here's something that was interesting. The brothers began to sit there and think amongst themselves because guess what happened next? Jacob dies, the father. The brothers are sitting there thinking, he's only let us live because daddy was around. 
He's going to take us out now. He's going to get us now. Did Joseph do that? Uh Uh-uh. Joseph said to them, listen, verse 19, do not be afraid for, am I in the place of God? It isn't isn't my place to discipline you, to carry out justice. I'm not in the place of God. Listen, you know what he said? I'm living in the context of God. I'm not God. I'm living in the context of God. But as for you, verse 20, you meant evil against me. (laughs) Here it is again. But God meant it for good. In order to bring about, as it is to this day, to save many people alive. Verse 21, now therefore do not be afraid. I'm going to provide for you, your little ones. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. He began to say, please quit worrying about what I'm going to do. Think of all that's happened. Think about our journey together. Think about all the the times you must have beat yourself up for what you've done. But here, I'm just going to tell you, we're on the other side of that now. It's God who's worked this thing out. It's God who's showing off here. And here's how you get there. Verse 28, Romans 8, 28. And we know that all things, all things, you get it? All things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Romans 8, 28 looks at life forgivenly, providentially, purposely. Next, what are the benefits of forgiveness? First of all, you identify with Jesus. That's what the whole story of Joseph is all about. You identify with Jesus. Number two, what are the benefits of forgiveness? Proper perspective. Proper perspective. There's some verses uh, uh, with this one. Write down 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10. I'm going to give you a little Bible study you can do, okay? 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10. How about this one? What are the benefits of forgiveness? Good health. Proverbs 3, 5 through 8. Write that down. Some of you are like, I can't write fast enough. Just, just do it, okay? Here we go. What are the benefits of forgiveness? Personal peace. You say, give me a verse. I got one for you. Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Write that down. A neat little Bible study here. What are the benefits of, of ministry? Uh, sorry, forgiveness. Ministry pla- platform. Genesis 50, 20. How about the last one? What are the benefits of forgiveness? Abundant life. John 10, 10. Here's the application. Is there anyone in your life who has hurt you that you've not forgiven? Is unforgiveness worth the consequences? I'm not naive. I'm talking to people who've been holding on for 20 or more years sitting in this room. I know it. How about the second one? Is forgiveness worth the benefits? I want to close with this. Right after I do this, we're going to have a quick prayer and the ushers are going to come forward. This is how this is going to play out this morning. I got a little carried away. Look on the back of the seat there. You're going to find this card. Here's what I want to do. I want to carry you through the path of transformation. The only way you can do that is you got to look at what you're dealing with Honestly. You can't pretend like it's there no more. You got to come to terms. You might say it's too painful to look at it honestly. You got to look at it honestly. If you're going to get through this, you got to see it the way it is. Number one, who has hurt you? Identify the persons or the person. Just write it down. I'm not, you can do it now, you can do it later. I just want to give you this. 
How does it make you feel? Identify the pain. Be honest. For you, it may not be a line and a half. It might be a whole page. you got to come to terms with this stuff. Next, what's your natural inclination? Well, have you been... Identify the lie and how you've been acting, how you've been going about this whole pain thing. Identify all that. Call it what it is. It's a lie. And then the but God part. What does God's word say? Identify the truth and then flip it on the back. As I said last week, exchange the lie for the truth, the darkness for light, the disease for healing, the feeling for faith, the bondage for freedom. And here's your memory verse. We just saw it. Just, just put it in your heart. Put it in your mind. Believe it. Live it. And we know that God works all things together for good to those who love God. To those who are called according to his purpose. And here's your prayer. God, I'm asking you today to help me turn my hurt to hope. Knowing that you can turn those things that have caused me pain into something for your purpose and your glory. And you sign it, you date it, and you memorialize it. And know that God can do a great work through whatever you face. Ushers, would you come forward? Father, we just come to you right now. We thank you for your word, and we thank you for the way that you've played this out. And Lord, I know that uh, there's a lot of pain in this room. It is anytime fallen creatures meet, and we live in a fallen world. But Father, I'm praying that healing can can take place in the lives of people who have heard these words today. I know your word will never return void. And Father, we just pray you do a great work through the lives of these today. Father, take this offering and use it as we continue to make you known to this world. In Jesus' name, amen. All right.